Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture is Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you all. It's always good to be with you guys. Um, if you're your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors. We've been traveling through the book of Romans, and we're going to do such today. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn and meet me in Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 29 and verses 30. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and then one of the guys will be able to uh, hand out a copy of the Bible to you. Just keep your hand raised high. And if you don't own one, just keep the one that we're handing out so that it would be our gift to you. Now, as you turn there, a couple things is um, we started this week, as Jim said, we started on Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, which was Ash Wednesday, in which we take 40 days and we begin to reflect upon our life. Uh, particularly here at Redemption Tempe, we're taking 40 days of prayer and of fasting. And, and many of you have shared stories with us about how hard it is to pray for an hour, <laughs> how hard it is to fast for a day or almost a day. And um, I just want to let you know, just keep, keep doing it, right? It doesn't matter how long or how uh, many days or whatever. I mean, don't fast forever and die. We don't want that to happen, right? Um, Mainly, these are not something we have to do that's a necessity for us to have a relationship with Jesus. But we are spending this time in praying because we believe God moves through prayer. In fact, later, um, during our time of our service, we're going to have an extended time of prayer in which we're going to pray for people to come to know Jesus. And, um, and you could be thinking of someone you know, you know right now that doesn't know Jesus that you could be praying for in that moment. And so we just want to continue to encourage you. I also want to um, direct your attention to the, to the email, or, um, excuse me, our website. On our website, different pastors are writing a blog every day that will help aid you in your time of prayer. And if you're struggling and praying by yourself, find a friend and pray with that person or go on a walk with your spouse or just, just pray and say, God, show up and bless us. And, uh, and we'll continue to do that. We're excited about it. And since Lent was started, we have new art up. And so um, this weekend, I spent all my time. Work- no, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, the artist came in, and, um, and it's really cool. Obviously, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb of God, and then you have the tree that represents life. And so each week as we get closer to Easter, they will come more and more uh, with color. And then hopefully on Good Friday, the lamb will walk out and we'll slaughter it just just a, just a, just for an image I mean think about that that will be the best illustration you will ever remember in your church then our pastor brought out a lamb and, right just right there right so this is what Jesus did you know uh, so so anyways we're excited um, next couple weeks uh, I think I have a treat for you guys, and that is we were having a conference in town for, for pastors, and with that, some of my favorite preachers are going to be in town, and so I've asked two of them, one to come earlier before the conference starts, and the other one to stay later, so we can have two of, my opinion, the best guys you guys can hear from. And so next Sunday, Eric Knox, who's a pastor out in Portland, um, a mentor of mine, he will be teaching here, and he will be unpacking the gospel, and I don't really know anyone else that can really unpack uh, just the clarity of the gospel as much as he can. And the week after that, I we personally as Redemption have a treat to have Justin Anderson uh, teaching here. And so Justin was the lead pastor here who started this congregation and started the church in San Francisco, a very dear friend of ours and mine personally, and probably the best communicator that you'll probably ever hear. And so for the next two weeks, you guys will be blessed. If you don't show up, that's your fault. Um, we're not going to put it on pad- podcast at all just because you didn't show up. So um, next two weeks, that'll be fun. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30. 
these two verses in themselves are, have been verses that people have argued over, have debated over, and I pray we do neither of that this morning. Because I honestly believe that this, what the text is saying is ultimately communicating God's love for you. In fact, it was in my time of study of this, and I've gone over these passages many of times, is that God absolutely loves us. And what Paul shows us is his love for us from start to finish. His love that preceded us, his love that initiated the relationship with us, and then eventually his love that fully completes that relationship, fully restores it. And I believe Paul has that for us in these two verses. I mean, the preceding love of God in which he set his love on us even before he created us. And then the initiating love in which he called us to himself when we believed upon the gospel and our experience of knowing and trusting in Christ. And then how he will fully restore and complete it. And so that's what Paul has for us in these three verses. And so uh, I'm going to read it again for us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many nations. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Um, every, every single one of us, we, we have a couple, or you've seen that couple before that you know or maybe you don't know, and you've looked at them and thought, how did that happen, right? Like, how did they get together, right? How did he get together with her, right? Why would she um, be with him, right? You, you've seen that couple, and maybe, maybe you're that couple, right? Um, <laughs> maybe. My, my wife and I, we know, we're, we, we know we're that couple because of our past. Um, people who knew us in college, who knew us both, go, you guys are married, right? And mainly because I was really godly in, in college and Holly wasn't. And so it's like, you know, I was trying to win her to the Lord and, you know, she finally got there, right? Uh, it was the opposite, <laughs> right? And people go, there's no way. One of my good friends, Manny, said, I know that you're a Christian now. He knows nothing about the gospel. He goes, I know. And I said, why? He goes, because you're married to Holly. Like, how did that happen, right? And so we know people like that. There is a particular uh, couple that uh, I grew up with. I grew up with the guy and the girl. Um, his name is Kyle and her name is Melissa. No need to hide their names. Um, and um, this, this guy, Kyle, had pursued Melissa. Like he liked her from sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, all the way throughout high school. He liked this girl, but she didn't like him, right? Like every year it was like, He's going to ask her out. She'd reject him. He's going to ask her out. She re it's like, buddy, stop, right? Your reputation is on the line. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. And honestly, it was kind of embarrassing. And, but now, now, they're married. They're married. They have a beautiful family. And I, I look at it and I go, how did that happen, right? It could be because he's a millionaire now, but no, no, I just no. <laughs> He's not, but he's close. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> but I'm like, how, how, did, how, did that, how did that happen, right? Um, they have these, like, this family, and it's beautiful to watch their life, like, unfold um, on Facebook. <laughs> so, but I'm <laughs> like, like, why not, right? <laughs> like, how did that happen? Here's what I'm guessing. As much as Kyle had pursued her and pursued her and pursued her, I'm convinced that by the time she began to respond to his love, that she knew a few things. She knew that he loved her. That was evident. And, and she knew that he would always love her because over these years, he had been pursuing and pursuing and pursuing her. She knew that, that, um, that no matter what she would do, that he would love her. 
Because she had rejected him and rejected him and rejected him, and yet he had been faithful to this idea of dating her. He didn't date anybody else. Um, she did. Um, he didn't. And then lastly, that I guarantee you she felt secure in the relationship. Like, Kyle loves me. And not so much the security because of her love for him, but mainly because Kyle's love for her. Because he loved her. I mean, honestly, he loved her since he was like 11 or 12. We tell junior high kids, no, that's his puppy love. He goes, well, I'm going to be a grown dog, and I'm going to love this girl, <laughs> right? And he loved her, and they're married. Like I said, you can watch it. It's on Facebook. <laughs> I, I, I believe it's, it's that type of love, far bigger than that, far greater than that, is the type of love that Paul is talking about now. Um, what Paul talked about last week, well, Paul didn't, what I talked about last week in, in verse 28 was that God, he says, working all things out for the good for those who love him. And we said every tear, every laugh, laughter, every failure, every success, everything for those who love God, those who trust in Christ, that God's working it out for good. And so last week we saw what God was doing behind the scenes within our circumstance, and this week we're seeing his redeeming grace within our salvation. And so what God is doing and what Paul has for us is this long story of love where God starts it, he initiates it, and then he himself is able to complete it. And the way and when God starts his love for us is even before we were created. The reason why I say that this passage in itself has been debated over is because there are a lot of theological concepts and words in here that we have to navigate to really understand what is Paul talking about. What is he communicating? If we can walk through those things and understand them rightly, I think we'll be able to see. We will see at the very heart of it is God's desire to love you from start to finish, even when you are not loving him. That when you finally respond to that love, that you yourself will know that you will always be loved and have always been loved by God, and that no matter what you can do can never separate you from that love and that you can be fully secure in the relationship and love that you have with God. And so that's what Paul has for us. First thing I want to see is how his love precedes our relationship, and then we'll see how his love initiates our relationship and with him. And then lastly, how his love um, fully and completely restores a relationship. So first, how, he full, excuse me, how his love precedes a relationship. Verse 28, it says, excuse me, verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. For those, you know, he says because he knows, verse 28, because he knows he's going to work everything out for the good, Paul says, for those whom he foreknew. Now, let's talk about that word, foreknew. It's helpful for us to be able to understand this word if we're going to understand the rest. In fact, many theologians have said they've called this particular, these two verses, 29 and 30, the golden chain of salvation because it goes from one word to the next in communicating God's love and salvation. Well, this first word, foreknew, um, there's two different views of this word of what it means. Um, one particular view when it comes to foreknew, it says that it means foresight, that God was able to see into the future, which he's all-knowing, and we know that. Isaiah chapter 40 lets us know that he knows beginning from the end things of ancient and things that have not yet happened. And so foresight says that he looks down the quarters of time, and he finds out when you, those of you who are Christian, when you are going to follow him, when you're going to place your faith in him, whether when you were four or whether you were 40 or whether you're 80, whatever, whatever it may be, that he sees that you are going to trust in him. And so since he sees that somewhere down in the quarters of time, then before the foundation of this world, before he created the world, that he, he, he foreknew you or he chose you in that moment. 
and that's one particular view. And the way this is illustrated by one famous pastor, he says this, imagine if you went to the racetrack, and it was horses, you're watching, and you want to bet on the horse races, but you were able to go into the future, and you're, you were going to know who actually won the race. And then you're going to go back to the, to the present, and then you can bet on it, knowing what's going to happen in the future. I feel very sci-fi right now, which is out of my comfort zone. But this is the way he's explaining this, right? And he says, then you would bet on the winning horse. And you would win, and it would be great. And I'm thinking, yeah, that would be amazing, right? And, and, and what he goes on to say, this pastor goes on to say is, that's the way God does. He goes in the future, sees that you're going to choose him, and so he chooses you. And he says, aren't you glad that God chooses winners? And I think, well, that's a great illustration. I'm just not really sure if that's what the Bible teaches. I would love to say that I'm a winner, whatever that means. But the Bible is clear. And what we've been walking through in Romans is um, we are separated by God. And, and that we ourselves, we miss the mark. And that we all fall short of the glory of God. And, and that we don't finish the race unless God himself does something in our life. And so it is not God that is looking to us and responding to us and what we would do, meaning God himself is not reacting to something we would do. That's not what Paul is saying here. He said, why? Well, let's look at the text again, verse 29. It says, for those whom, if, you, if you're an underliner, underline whom. If it said for those um, which or those what, meaning acts that you would do or facts about you, that would be different. But he says, for those whom he foreknew, meaning that's a person, not a decision, not an act. Meaning there is something that's going on him that's much bigger than that. It is not necessarily foresight. Whenever you see the word foreknew, almost everywhere in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, um, it, it is a knowledge of intimacy and of relationship. Uh, let me explain this. Um, in the Old Testament, we, we have, uh, first we see it in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Jeremiah 1, uh, verse 5, what we have is God talking to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says this to him, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew you. Not facts about you, not what you would do, um, not what color your hair would be. I, just I knew you, and that's intimate language. In Amos chapter 2, what we see is God speaking of Israel, and he says, he says of all the families... Uh, you of only have I known, that word known there, meaning I've known you, not what you would do, not facts about you, just you intimately, personally. If we fast forward to the New Testament, what we have in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, it's, it's after uh, the angel has spoken to Joseph and says, your wife is pregnant, though you guys have not had intimate relationships. He goes, but it's going to be God's child. And it says Jason, um, not <laughs> Jason, Jason didn't, wasn't married to Mary, um, that Joseph... <laughs> Joseph, he, he knew her not, and that's meaning he didn't have intimate physical relationship with her. Um, one of the scariest verses in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 7, and it talks about activities that people will do, and it says that it will be people who will come to Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, there'll be people that come to me, and he, and he, he will say this. Um, they will say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do a lot of religious activity? And he will say, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. When he says no, that meaning it is an intimacy and an intimate relationship. Foreknowledge in itself could be translated for love. It could be translated for love, that God foreloved you. This is not just some theological concept that we can debate about and walk around about and argue about. It is something to understand this love that in some weird way, God, before he even created you, desired to have an intimate relationship with you. 
Now, did God have foresight? Absolutely. But the one thing that he would see is he would know that in Adam, we would all sin. And that he would make it in such a way that even if we would sin, even know how fast and how far we would run away from him, even know how dark our sins would become before we were Christians and even how dark we can get as Christians, that God said, I put and set my saving love upon you in very intimate ways, meaning I am very acquainted with who you are. So God set it up in such a way that he would always love you. Um, That experience of that love from us to him, we probably wouldn't experience until later in our life, but this is something that God himself has done. And so the first thing Paul says is God loves you, and he's always going to love you, and he's loved you even before there was you. And as Christians, those who trust in Christ, we we didn't experience that. But isn't it true that we can look back in our life and go, oh, yeah, he had to have loved me this whole time. Even before we even trusted him, he had to have. He had to have set his love on me because I don't know if he would have done it any time after I was born. But he, but he does. And he sets it up in such a way that he's not going to lose his children. And so Paul starts this whole thing off of saying his love precedes the relationship with you. No matter what you would have done in your life, no matter how far, where you would have gone, what you would have done, God was going, I'm going to find you and I'm going to love you. You you cannot outrun the love of God, and that's very, very good news. That's very, very good news. And so Paul continues here. So we get past that word, and he says, for those whom you foreknew, he also predestined. And that's like that uh uh-oh word, like, uh uh-oh, what is he going to do with that, right? (laughs) And if you're here and going, wait, what does predestined mean? Um, (laughs) It means exactly what it means in English, Um, that God has predestined or he has determined a particular destination, Sounds redundant. And, and so what is, okay, what is that destination? What's happening here? Okay, what it means is that, think about if you have a, a trip, that you have um, a place that you want to go, and then how you're going to get there, that you determine it beforehand, and you're going to get there. Some of us grew up going on family vacations, right? Most of these family vacations you didn't get a chance to choose, but you went on them, right? My mother was born and raised in Mississippi, moved us out to California, and she deeply, deeply, deeply missed Mississippi. In fact, she's back there now. She is a country bumpkin, right? She loves being not in the city part of Mississippi, like in the deep woods, right? And so every time we got an opportunity, every year we would drive from California to Mississippi, right? My mama never, my mama, my mama, see, I'm getting back to my days right now. (laughs) My mother. (laughs) <laughs> my mom never, she never came to us and said, hey, what do you guys, what do you guys think? Do you guys want to go to Mississippi? She knew what our answer would be. No, right? No, it was no, I don't care anyway, boy, get in the car, right? And so we would pack up into this Nissan Sentra. This is like 80s, 90s, so like the box Nissan Sentra, right? And we would jump in there, uh, the five of us, me, my dad, my mom, my brother, my sister. I'm the middle brother, so I'm squished in the middle, right? The whole way, no hotel stops just for gas, right? So I'm squished there. It's the reason why I walk pigeon-toed now. I mean, I can't, I, I never got out of it, right? And we would set out. It was my mom's plan. We were getting to Mississippi come hell or high water. Like, we're getting there. One time we almost got both, um, hell and high water. We were driving through Texas, and there was this storm that came in. And, the, and literally, the cops were saying, pull over, pull over. My mom keeps driving, right? And so there's high water, and then driving through Texas is like hell. Uh, and so we have both of those things. If you've ever driven through Texas, Texas takes forever, right? It's the most defeating state to drive through. You could be in Texas for hours, and you'll see a sign that says, San Antonio, 800 miles. It's like, oh, we're never going to get out of Texas, right? 
please, Lord. And the closer you get to Mississippi, the more exciting it gets. The trees come up. You get out of Houston. You get in the Shreveport. You cross over the Mississippi, and you're like, we're here. It's beautiful. This is great. Black people over here. White people over here. This is perfect, right? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> So there's this destination. And so what God has for us is he's got a destination for us. Now, what is that destination in which he has foreloved us and he's set his love on us? Meaning he is determining something. Most times what we would say as Christians is it's heaven. We're going to leave this earth and travel up to him in heaven. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul's not saying that Christians don't go to heaven. Um, in fact, what the Bible will later say is that heaven actually comes to here. Heaven in itself is heaven because we can see God. Heaven in itself because we are ultimately redeemed, that we are fully wrapped into his life and his love, the love of Christ. And so the destination here is not us floating in the heaven. In fact, I think that most of us don't have a desire for heaven because we've, we've, we haven't taught it very well. We haven't taught what God is really doing. We think that heaven is something that's somewhere far off, and then we trust in Christ in this life, and, and then we go to heaven, and there's fat babies, and we're singing. And we go, that sucks. <laughs> what Paul is saying here is, is something beautiful. He's saying that the destination, he has predestined us, here it is, to be conformed into the image of his son. To be conformed in the image of his son. Let me, let, me, let me explain what he's saying here. When God created this world, he created everything right and good and beautiful and loving. And at the very apex of his creation, he created humanity. He created male and he created female, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had the best relationship with God. They walked in the cool of the day with God. They were completely exposed before God. God himself, um, though he created everything, he had empowered Adam and Eve. He empowered them to, be, to, um, to subdue, to cultivate, meaning to take the land around them and to make things out of it, to be creative to build societies and culture, to multiply, that they could have families and that they would continue to take what God had given them and all the potential in his good creation that they would take these things out of it and create and make and they would all do it in a way that would bring praise and honor to God. This was where there was no sin in the world. Um, they were able to live and love God and love their neighbor the way that it was supposed to be. When Adam sinned and when Eve sinned, they didn't lose their ability to work. They didn't lose their ability to create. They didn't lose their ability to make babies. They didn't lose their ability to, to do all of those things. The ability that they lost was to walk in the cool of the day with God. They didn't lose their ability to behave right. And so often in Christianity, what we think is what Christ is doing is primarily making us more moral. It's nothing less than that. He is conforming our character to the morality of Christ but what he's ultimately doing is he's drawing us back to what Adam lost. And that is a right, loving, perfect relationship with God. And so when we're being conformed to the image of God, he's not getting rid of your personality. He created that. That's unique. That's God-given. He's not saying he's replacing you with Christ and we're all going to be this mimicking Christ and we're going to be like robots. No, no, no. He's saying every part of you that he created in God's image, like every single person in this room, whether you believe in this statement or not, whether you trust in Christ or not, you were created in the image of God to reflect him, to love him and to love your neighbor, to work, to take the things that God has given you, the steward, to create, to do these things in a way that brings him honor and to receive his love for you. Um, every single one of us, and that particular image of God has been shattered by sin. 
And it's like a mirror that is just placed all over the place, and we cannot reflect and live from God because we no longer have God in the center. We placed ourselves in the center. And so when we work, oftentimes it's for our end. When we create, it's for our end. That everything becomes looking after number one. It is not something that is flowing from the life and love of God as seen in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul says is when God, his preceding love upon us for the relationship, it is intimacy in which he predetermines or predestines what we will be. And that is we will not be conformed back to Adam. Like that's not the goal. The goal is not to get back to the garden. Um, the goal in itself is not to be in the position Adam was in. Adam, as we said before, Adam was in some sense of a probation. Um, things were good as long as he didn't mess up, as long as he didn't break the law. And he did, putting us all in captivity. Um, we are not being conformed back to Adam. We are being conformed into Christ, who himself was impeccable, and which we one day will be impeccable. That means sinless. We are conformed to Christ, who gave himself out to the poor, and so we can give ourselves out to the poor. We are being conformed to Christ, who had intimate fellowship face-to-face -face with the Father and the Spirit, that we too will have intimate communion and fellowship with the Father face-to-face -face and the Spirit. We are with Christ who did not have fear or shame or guilt, that we will not have fear and shame and guilt, that we are being conformed to that. And so heaven, when it renews this material world, the goal of where God is taking us in his love is that we will be able to walk in the cool of the day. And so think about it this way. Um, what are you to be doing now uh, as God is conforming you? Think about your life right now. Think about the way you love your spouse. Think about the way you are walking in your singleness. Think about the way you care for your family. Think about the way you work, the way you work tomorrow when you go to work or you'll go to school or those of you guys are on spring break. Think about what you would do if you were a Christian on spring break. Um, <laughs> think, 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 about, think about those things, right? Imagine doing your life, doing you, the personality God's given you, without sin. Without sin. What would that look like? That's where God's taken you. And so following Christ now for us is living into that reality by the gospel. And, and that happens. Um, God does the work. He foreknows us. He sets his love on us. He, he predestines us to this goal that we would be conformed in the image of Jesus. And, and um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, speaking of this, this is how Paul speaks this. Chapter 3, verses 16. Through 18, it says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He says, as we all, with unveiled faces, meaning sin removed, unbelief removed, that we were able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and we are being transformed. That's what God is doing. This is the work of his love in us, that he is removing and will one day ultimately remove the sin that affects us, that affects our physical bodies and even our morality, that we may be able to work and create and play and rest in such a way that Jesus and God is at the center and we walk with God in the cool of the day. That is the promise that we have in the gospel. And Paul is saying this starts with God's preceding love. And, and he wraps up, Verse 29, and he says, in order, we've been conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might become the firstborn among many brothers. The firstborn right there is a concept of, in the Old Testament, they had first fruit and first, first, uh, firstborn. 
And what it meant was when someone would offer up their first fruits to God, it was a, uh, it was a promise and a trust that God would bring around the rest. I offer you the first fruit, and you would bring about the rest. And so Jesus becomes a representation for every single person who would look upon him. As he was resurrected and fully restored with a glorified body, sitting at the right hand of the Father, being able to see and join in the fellowship with God in glory, every single child, every single man, and every single woman will be followed, that we would follow him in that, that God's desire is to love you even when your desire is not to love him. God's desire is to complete you even when you don't know how you're going to be completed. And God starts this by placing his love upon you. Amen? So we see that this love in itself, it precedes us. But not only does this love precedes us, it, 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 that, that could somewhat be abstract. Paul transitions now to talking about how this love um, initiates the relationship we have. It doesn't just precede the relationship we have with God, but it initiates. I mean, now he's talking to real time what we can experience. For the most part, this right here was abstract. It's something that God did in the past. It's something that God is doing. Um, but what about our experience? What about those who are in this room who are Christian? Those who are in this room who are not yet Christian? What about our experience? Well, here's what Paul talks about in talking about his initiating love. Verse 30, he says, For those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And so now he gets these two words, called and justified. And let me explain these, and I'll just tell a story from it. Um, first, called, there's two ways to call. There's an external call, and there's an internal call. The external call is the call when someone shares the gospel with you. Someone tells you about Jesus. Um, someone tells you about how he lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died and how God himself offered up Jesus that you could be forgiven through his precious blood. Like that good news that we share, that good news that we've all responded to, those of us who walk with Jesus. That's external call. But then there's this internal call. The internal call is the voice of God, is the spirit of God, is the hand of God, and ordering, enabling you to believe that message. Um, it's one thing for us to share it, which we need to share it more and more and more. Um, but what Paul is saying is, when he says that those whom he called, he's not talking about the way we call. The, we share the gospel to everybody. What he's saying is those in whom he lovingly opens up their heart to respond to it. He's not getting rid of your experience. He's telling you what happened in your experience behind the scenes. So, some of us, we walked down an aisle where we received Jesus. Uh, some of us, we, we prayed a prayer with, with a camp leader, we received Jesus. Uh, some of us prayed with our, our parents as kids, and we received Jesus. For whatever it may be, he's saying, I'm not discarding those, those um, experiences. I'm just saying what happened behind the scene is that God is calling you, that he himself is drawing you to himself. He himself is loving you to himself. And that second word, those he called, he also justified. We spent weeks talking about this. This is the one-time act in which God declares you as a guilty sinner, innocent. That God says his wrath that was meant for you is erased because of the precious blood of Jesus. And that not only are your sins forgiven for everything that you've done before you became a Christian, but everything you've done after you become a Christian, that all your sin is completely washed and renewed in Christ Jesus. That your sin has been spread apart as far as the east is from the west, that you are justified, that God looks at you as a child. He says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And then those whom he predestined, he also called. That was that inward call in which God was calling yourself it's called an efficacious call, meaning it's going to happen. You are going to see his love and respond to it, and that you are justified, that you are made right before God. And so, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, I think at this point we've got to think about your own personal story and where you were and what God did. And hear me, not everybody has that one-time moment, that kind of pickaxe moment. 
spiritual birthday or whatever it may be. Not everybody has that. Um, some people have, it was around this time, right? And then some of us have moments where we know exactly where it was. And I don't know your story, um, so I can just tell mine. And so when I was reading through this, as we've been going through this prayer and fasting, one of the best things to do is reflect. One of the best things about Lent is that you can reflect and look at your life. See where God has taken you. See where you're taking yourself apart from God and ask God to redirect you. And so during this, the, the study of this and just meditating on that, it's thinking about this call, this call in which God drew me to himself. And you can think about your life when God drew you to himself, and, and, and it's, a spe- it's just special. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, the predestined of foreknowledge, that part is amazing that he set his love on us. It's true. It's real. But I don't exp- I mean, I, what I experienced, I remember the call, right? I remember where I was and what I was doing. The other day I got off the light rail and I called Jason to come pick me up. And, and, um, and, and the apartment complex that's right by the light rail drop off an Apache and Price right there. They used to be called the Alexon. Now they're called something else for whatever reason. Um, and I remember being in that apartment and I remember receiving a phone call from this lady that was in my mom's prayer group. I, I shared with you last week. I shared with you all the time. My mom was praying and praying and praying. Um, clearly somebody in her group got sick of her praying for my salvation. I was like, well, let's just make this happen and said, hey, <laughs> Can I get your son's phone number? And my mom gives her this lady, this lady my phone number, which I was absolutely heated. Like, why would you give this lady, this old lady, my number? So she calls me, and she says, you better sit down. And I'm like, I'm not sitting down. Like, why are you talking to me, right? But I'm polite. It's an old lady, old black lady for that case. I don't disrespect. So I'm listening to her on the phone, and guys, what she began to say, it, it, it changed my life. You see, there's the external call where you hear the gospel. Many of us, how many times have we heard the gospel and just been like, not for me, not for me? How many times have that happened? I mean, I'd heard the gospel my entire life. I grew up going to church, listening to my, 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 my grandfather and other angry preachers talk about the gospel. And um, I, I'd heard the stories my mom had shared with me. I'd been on campus. I heard, you know, campus people talking about Jesus, probably Allie, and, and just, 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 just sharing about the Jesus. And, and I'd heard it and heard it and heard it, but never once did it begin to uh, take root in my heart, right? I always say, you know, I think people were, like, putting seeds down, and I had more seeds than soil. Right? I mean, like, I had heard it enough. It just never went down, never got watered, never grew, never. However, this day, I'm 22 years old, this woman calls, and she's talking, and she's talking, and, then, and, then, and now I'm actually sitting down because you know what I felt? And I had been feeling? Wait. Just wait. And, and now I can say, oh, it was sin, but at the time I didn't know what it was. I just felt it, like, almost like someone had constantly had their hands pushing down on my shoulders. You ever have those moments where, where you, you were guilty of something and you try to just do something else to distract you from that? I'd had that for a season where it was like, oh, I don't want to think about it. I'll think about something else. I'll throw myself into something else. This particular day is when God himself sovereignly called me through the preaching of the gospel of this woman. God always uses means, and this particular means was me on a phone and this woman, and all she said was so simple. I didn't know what grace was. I didn't know any of that. She said this, you know that you've been running from God. And when she said that, I kind of like, I've never said that, but yeah, maybe I have. And she says, you know that um, you can't outrun him. And I thought, I'm in college. I'm pretty fast. You don't know how fast I am. Then, then she said, um, God, this is the part that just crushed me. You know God loves you and that he's always going to love you and he forgives you and he's always going to forgive you. Man, like my eyes just, I, 
I heard that before. That time I heard it with my heart. Like that, that, that was a time I finally believed in Jesus, and it made sense to me. And, and I, 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 I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I, I just knew for the first time that this, this, this concept of God's love had been funneled into this heart, into my life. And that weight that I had been feeling for years, somehow, and by God's spirit, he lifted it up. And, and I'm sitting there. My friends are around looking at me like, what's happening? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, get out of the room. <laughs> Before it happens to you, right? <laughs> and, and, and it was just an incredible moment where, where, where in that moment, that was my experience. So you have yours. And I don't know if you signed a card, if you walked down an aisle. Listen, that's beautiful. That's awesome. I don't care where you were. But God decided. He's the one who called and said, now. Now. And he did it. Some of you was at four. Some of you was at 22. Some of you it has not been yet. But there will come a time and there will come a moment because of his preceding love that he will initiate a relationship with you, that you will hear the gospel, and he will say, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will redeem you. I will restore you. I will save you. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. At some moment in your life, because of his sovereign saving love upon you, he will say now. And you will desire it. It will not be some kicking and screaming experience. It will not be some I don't want it. It, will, it. it would be like a wedding day when you walk down the altar and you meet and you see your wife and you said, now. I knew I wanted you, but now I know I desire you. And that, 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 that is that call of God. But it, it can't be right written. It cannot be explained. It is his love in which he draws us closer and near to himself. And it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. And God does that because he loves us. Amen? That's the picture that we have. And he draws people to himself. He himself sets his love on us. He precedes the relationship. And then he initiates it. And he initiates that call. And, and there's, there's, guys, there's nothing better than the love of Jesus. There is nothing better than the absolute saving love of Jesus. You cannot find anything better than that. You can try as you may. You cannot find anything better. In fact, I'm talking to this lady, and as this conversation is continuing, um, I'm not really sure. Like, I want to follow Jesus, but, you know, I'm a young Christian or maybe a Christian at this time. And and I said, well, what do I do? And she goes, you need to turn to Jesus. And And I was thinking, well, this is no joke. I was thinking, dang it, there's this party on Friday. Can Jesus wait till Monday, right? I literally asked this lady that, like, you think next week would be good? I got some stuff that I kind of want to get done before I kind of do this Jesus thing, right? Just kind of one lap, no? Um, and um, sure enough, she, she said these words, you can try to keep running, but if he set his love on you, he's going to find you, even if it hurts you. Or you can just lovingly submit. Hear me, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never trusted in Jesus, don't wait if you've never trusted in the the work in which God has done for you in Christ Jesus, if the Holy Spirit, if God, if something, you can't even describe it as tugging on your heart to follow him, don't wait. Just turn to Jesus. You don't have to know all the words. You don't have to know all the songs. You don't have to know where to turn your page. You don't have to know when to say amen. I usually give you a hint. You don't have to do any of that, right? You, 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 You just can turn and run to Jesus. We can just run to him. Um, or if he said his saving love on him, you can keep running from him. But here's what we know about this. If God has set his love on, on you beforehand, no matter how fast, how far you run, he'll eventually find you. And there will be a moment where he'll say, now. 
and to be the best thing that ever happened to you. The best thing that ever happened to most of us in this room who have trusted in Jesus. Amen? We see that God's love precedes us. His saving grace and his saving love initiates this relationship. And lastly, it fully restores it. If you look at this last point um, in verse 30, it says, Then those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. He glorified. Now this, this verse, my first year of becoming a Christian, I was reading through the Bible, and it was these two verses that absolutely overwhelmed me. It wasn't so much the foreknew or the predestined part. When I first read that, I'm like, ah, I don't know what that means. And I just kept reading. And then, and then, and then it was the glorified part that got me. Like, it just tripped me up, right? Like, I'm a person who, um, who loses everything, right? I lose everything. I lose my wallet. I lose my keys. I've, I've lost my family a few times. Um, I mean, I, just don't hand me anything. Usually what happens, I'll say no, give it to somebody else, and make sure it gets back to me. Like, I just, I misplace things all the time. Or, or think of it like this. Have you ever been in a relationship, you're dating somebody, you ever had that experience, where you just know, like, the next meeting or any meeting soon, it's going to be like, that's when the, like, they're going to end the relationship? No? <laughs> me neither. <laughs> Whatever, dude. You guys try to act like you guys got game. Dude, you know you've been dumped before. You've been dumped before. It happens. And so there, there, there's that moment where you go like, is this, is this it? Is this the one? Is she going to come and be like, hey, sorry, I got to let you know something. And it's like, oh, I knew this was coming, right? When it came to my relationship with the Lord, as awesome as that moment was with that lady and as awesome as the next year was, I had this thought that, okay, God himself, this is what I thought the gospel was like. God gets you into the door, right? He gets you the job. He's the reference. You're in. You're on your own. Good luck. Like, that's what I thought. Like, God himself says, okay, believe in Jesus. Your sins are forgiven up until a particular point. You are in the kingdom of God. Don't screw this up. Peace. And he's out, right? Like, I got you into the door. And so I, I thought that I could lose this relationship. And then when you get to the Bible, right, you start reading the Bible as a new Christian or as a Christian or whenever you start to read the Bible, it's a good idea, um, whether you're a Christian or not. If, when you start reading the Bible, you start seeing what God calls you to do. And you're like, man, if I mess up any of these, it's over. And you're like, I mess up these all the time. And so there's a, there was that thought that I'm going to lose this relationship, and there was kind of fear. In fact, most of my obedience was driven out of the fact or desire that, um, excuse me, the fact that I thought I'm going to lose this. Like, like any day, God's going to come in and be like, hey, we need, like, I'm going to meet with God in a devotion time. He's going to meet me, and I'm like, hey, God, how are you doing? He's like, wait, before you go any further, I just want to be friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, oh, man. <laughs> I thought we were going, so what about that whole, like, you know, God so loved the world thing? No, I thought you meant that, right? <laughs> he did. When I got to glorified, I had this NIV application study Bible. Like, you read the scripture, you don't know what it means, and then you go down to the notes. And that's how I learned how to read the Bible. And I got to Romans chapter 8, and I got to Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and I saw that glorified, and I'm like, okay, what does it say? That was the only verses in Romans that it did have notes for. And I'm like, who does it? That's why I went to the ESV and said, you know what, forget that. There are skipping verses there, right? And I did, I, I did not know what it meant. And it is, it is, honestly, it really was, guys, this is a true story, is that I, I, I really wanted to know. And here's what I wanted to know. Is it that good? Could, could I mean, think about this. We live in uncertain times. People could leave us in a nanosecond. Even people we love, even people that stood and made vows to us, they can leave. They can. They do. Um, things can be taken away. We live in a very uncertain world. My relationship with Jesus is the most beautiful thing I've ever had. 
And then when I see glorified, and, 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 and glorified is spoken in past tense. Glorified means that you are perfect. You understand that? Glorified means that you are in the new heavens and new earth. You are in the kingdom of God. You are with Jesus daily. You are with the Father daily. You are with the Spirit daily. You are impeccable. There's no sin about you. There's not even an opportunity to sin. You are everything that God has created you to be. And he speaks of it. Paul speaks of it in past tense. Like, don't you know? That's as good as done. And when I begin to understand that, that, that was the most, the best anticipation of the gospel is that no matter how dark it gets for me in this life, no, 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 how dark it gets for you in this life, how dark it gets for your marriage, how dark it gets in whatever stage of life in Christ you are in, God's saying, you're as good as in heaven. That in your darkest moments, he's not, he's not pulling back his love. If anything, he's pressing in. That the way and the, the reason why we obey is because of his love, not out of fear of losing anything. He himself starts it, he initiates it through the gospel, and it's the power of the gospel and his saving, sovereign love that completes it. We, we ourselves, we're not there yet. But we can trust in his mighty love that he's going to get us there. What God is saying in the gospel is, it's better than you thought. It's a type of love that you can't get from anybody else. It's a type of love you can't get from anywhere else that God himself says, I will always pursue and I will always love you. And to the very end, I will completely restore you. Amen? That is the truth of the God. That was good news to me, guys. I mean, it's just this exhale of going, I'm trying to hold on to God. And this whole time God's saying, I got you. I got you. And so, so what's the so what of that? Two things, two simple things. If God is the one who foreknows and, and God's the one who predestines us to be like Christ, what part did we play in that? None. So don't have to worry about that. If God is the one who says he calls, but the way he calls is through the gospel. That's what we should do. We should pray our heads off. We should pray our heads off. People say, well, why, why pray? <laughs> one, God tells it to. And because Romans 28 says he uses everything. Everyone in this room that's a Christian, you are, here on, you are here because God has answered somebody's prayer for you. He's answered a friend's prayer. He's answered your mother's prayer. He's answered your prayer. You're here because of that. Don't ever, like, we should never try to separate God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. It's ridiculous. There's, there, are, there are just mystery in it. God does some stuff that we don't do. And so I'm not even going to try to mess around with that. But then he says, share the gospel. And so we need to pray that people in our lives, our family, our coworkers, that, that they would hear Jesus. And we're going to have an opportunity later in the service to do that. We should pray our heads off. We should pray. We should pray for our friends who are Christians that are drifting. We should pray. We should be praying our heads off because God sovereignly intervenes. All things, he says. That includes prayer. Second thing is, we should share the gospel. We should tell people. I'm glad that this old lady who, to this day, I've never met, she's bonding with Jesus, <laughs> picked up a phone and said, I'm going to share the gospel with you. And every single one of you should be thankful for whoever it was that clearly and spoke up about the gospel. And it doesn't matter how good our presentation is, God comes in power. It's his power and his love. And so we thankful for what he's done. I pray that this would comfort you. And then we should say, who else can get in on this? <laughs> who else? It's an innumerable amount of people. Who else can get in on this? I want you guys to close your Bible. And what we're going to do now is, as we transition to a time of response, is we are going to do something different today. Like I said, we're going to spend some time in prayer, particularly praying for someone who you know, whether it's a child or whether it's a friend, a coworker, a family member, whatever, that does not yet know Jesus.
and that they would come to know Jesus, and that God himself would sovereignly intervene. And uh, before we do that, we're going to have a normal time of response. I'll come back later and we'll walk you through that. But um, before we do that, just take this moment to thank God that he set his love on you, and that his love found you, and it found you wherever you were, and will always find you wherever you are. If you're in the room and you're not a Christian, that you would, that you would, you would ask God to reveal himself to you, um, that you, you would seek him, that you would say, God, I'm seeking you. If, you're, if, if you are truly seeking him, and if you want us to pray for you, we, we'll be up here. We, we'd love to pray for you. Um, but we'll, we'll take this time to just reflect on this, it's just on the good news of Jesus, and just spend some time walking away in comfort and freedom, and then, and then we'll be able to sing together and sing loudly and boldly in the grace of God. So why don't you go ahead and bow your heads, and I'll pray, and then spend this time reflecting.